We've been in the book of Mark, um, it feels like since 1994, but we started back in February and um, we're gonna end this in, in Thanksgiving, but we've, we've been in the book of Mark and we took kind of a three week break where we looked at uh, our mission as a church. And the whole purpose of us looking at the book of Mark is to, so we can look at the life of Jesus Christ and so that we can, as his people, follow him more, clo- more closely. Um, kind of catch you up where we are. The first 11 chapters in the book of Mark have been the first three years of Jesus' ministry that for three years he's been healing and teaching and traveling all over. And kind of we're gonna really kind of change gears where we are in Mark chapter 11 and for the next five chapters, this is the last week of his life. And so the first kind of 11 chapters have been the first three years of Jesus' ministry and the next five chapters are just the, the very last week of his life. If you were with us about a month ago, Dave um, taught on Jesus clearing out the temple. And if you weren't here with us, I invite you to go back and listen to that podcast. Um, But Jesus, the the story before this, walks into the temple and he overturns the tables and he he irritates the religious leaders. It's like Jesus kind of kicked the metaphorical hornet's nest. and, And for the next you know week, it is the 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 religious leaders' only goal is to crucify Jesus that their only intention is to get him out of the way, to to get him out of their life so that they can go back to things undisturbed, unbothered by Jesus. And Jesus, the same way this last week of his life, the only thing he has his eyes on is the cross. I love this, that Jesus in the last week of his life, and we're gonna see this this week, um, he creates space in his life for cold-hearted, shut off, religious people. That this story that we're going to be in, it is Jesus just looking face to face at people whose hearts are so so cold to God, so hard to the man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus thinks it's worthy of his time to have a conversation with these people. And I go, that brings me so much comfort. I know that we come into this place in all different places. That some of us are, are having a great week. I look over here and I see Greg and Jody and, and they're getting married next Saturday. I look over here, a couple of my other friends and they celebrated their kids' first birthday. And then I look across the room and I go, there are other people in this room and, and you're struggling because your parents just laid it on you that they're getting divorced. And, and some of you come in this place and your, your faith is farther from you than it ever has been. And you come in this place and you just feel broken. And what I want you to know is that, that this is a place for people who, who don't have it all together. And if you come here this morning with questions and if you come here this morning uh, looking for God, you are in the right place because we are not people who haven't figured it out. We don't come here bearing our own righteousness. We come here bearing the one who died for us in his righteousness. And I go, this is a hospital for sick people. If you're a sick person, you're welcome in this place. And I love the story that we're gonna get in this morning because if Jesus would make time for cold-hearted, dead religious people whose hearts were dead to him, he'll make time for us. And I think, I think, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, that God has something to speak into our lives this morning. I invite you to listen, to read along with me, Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27. It says, they arrived again in Jerusalem. This is Jesus and his 12 apostles. They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priest The teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, Jesus? And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. 
Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and they said, if we say from heaven, then he will ask us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. This is the word of God from Mark chapter 11. You know, uh, sometimes we read stories like this and I was talking to Kasia before this morning and this is kind of one of these stories uh, for me this week. Sometimes it's just so hard to connect. Uh, like sometimes texts like this, it just feels so irrelevant to what's going on in our lives. And I was telling Kasia, I was like, we were supposed to teach this text this week. And I was like, I don't want to teach this. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't speak in my life. And so I was trying to teach a different text and all week God was just going, no, there's something here for you. And so here's what I want to do for us this week. I want to affirm you. If, if you read this, or if you've ever read the Bible and you go, man, that feels so irrelevant. I'm there with you. But I also know that, that sometimes when we really dig in, when we really open our hearts, when we come to God and we say, God, would you, teach me what you would you teach me what you have for me in this text? That he has this way of just bringing up things that we never even knew were there. It's kind of been one of those weeks for me this week as I've gone, man, I thought this text was so far, so distant. And I realized, oh man, God has got something in here for Brandon. And so here's what I'm gonna do this morning. I wanna kind of take us into the story and then I wanna just figure out what it means for our lives. And so we're gonna kind of walk through this verse by verse, starting in verse 27. It says, they arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. And so um, here's what you need to know about this kind of first verse. That these three groups of people are, they're real people, they're, they're real groups, but they're also symbols. This might just kind of help us understand this text a little bit more. And so talk about the chief priests. And here's what you need to know about them. The only way that you become a, become a priest is by birth. That you couldn't do enough or be good enough. The, the only way that you were a priest is if you were born into the family of a priest. Chief priests are symbols of people that had just like this religious heritage. The second group that talks about are the teachers of the law and the, the teachers of the law are the symbol for, for people who are educated in the scripture, are knowledgeable of the scripture, people who, who love the scriptures, who memorize the scriptures, who, who went to bed quoting the scripture because they loved it so much. Teachers of the law were the ones that had the answers. They were the ones that would show up on Sundays and we would sit under their authority and we would say, hey, will you tell me what the scripture says? Will you tell me what to do? And whenever they told us, we would do it. The elders were symbols of people that were just respected. That these were people that throughout the course of their life, they just made decisions to, to walk with God. And their lives produced this fruit that were just worthy of respect. And so you think about these three different groups, the chief priests, these people who had the religious heritage and the teachers of the law, the people who had the knowledge and the wisdom and the elders, the people who had this respect. And we might be tempted to go, man, God has positioned this group, these people in such a way that they could really make a huge impact, a huge difference, a huge influence in the kingdom of God. I look around this room and I go, man, you think about this for some of us like you were born into families and, and your parents had faith. 
and your grandparents had faith and your great-grandparents had faith and your great-great-grandparents for faith. And faith has just been something that has been passed down from generation to generation. And it, it wasn't hard for you to come to, to believe in God because you were born into this family of faith. You really relate to this like religious heritage. Some of you, man, you, you're, you love, you're, you're educated in the scriptures. You, you, you know it, you cling to it, you memorize it. Others of you, man, you, you look at your life and you're, you just walk in this room and, and, and those of us who know you, we just go, man, I, I wanna be like you. I, I wanna live like you. I wanna become like you because of the things that you've done in your life, the choices that you've made. And I go, but here's a real key difference. There's three groups in the Bible, man. Although they had the religious heritage and all, although they had the, the knowledge and although they had respect, the thing that marked this group was that they were against Jesus. That over and over again, this is what you see in the scriptures, that the only people who are uncomfortable around Jesus, the ones who, who want nothing to do with Jesus, the ones who, who don't want to be in his presence are not the sinners. It's the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders. So I just want you to imagine this, this scene that's unfolding. That in the temple, these people who, who had the, the, the respect and the knowledge, they, they walk in, you just kind of imagine it unfolding in marathon before us, like this group that, that has the authority in the religious world. And then, and then Jesus walks in and you just kind of see them meet in the middle of the room. Can you imagine the tension? Can you imagine what people were feeling as they watched Jesus, this guy who they respected, who they had seen do and say so many powerful things, squaring off right in front of those who had the religious heritage and the knowledge and respect? In this group, they approach Jesus and they ask him this question in verse 28. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you authority to do this? Let me ask you a question. What is, what is authority? Like if a police officer has authority, what do they have? They have the power they have the right, they have the jurisdiction to act. So if, if you're swerving all over the road and driving fast, or if you're speeding through a school zone, you're a terrible person, but also the policemen, they, they have the power to turn on the lights and to chase you until you pull over, right? Or what does it mean for your boss to have authority? It means they have the ability to increase your pay without asking anyone else. It's really cool. Our staff at Ethos, we're currently sharing office, uh, sharing office space with um, this guy from our church owns this company. And we kind of got booted. We didn't kind of, we definitely got booted out of our office space. And he took us in and kind of gave us a, pe a section in his office. And I was walking in this morning, going over my notes, kind of looking over stuff. And I was walking around the office and I saw that, that on several of his employee, employees' desks, there were these brand new iPads with a note from him just and I go, what it means to have authority is that you don't have to ask anyone's permission <laughs> to buy your employees' iPads. You have the right, the ability to, to do things as you see fit. Or you think about uh, your living situation, your landlord. I go, isn't that a great title? Landlord, like the Lord of the land. And um, <laughs> they have the ability to tell you what you can and what you can't do, Right? So it's like, hey, Todd, you can, you can build a fire pit in your backyard. And 
Ryan and Paloma, you can't have cats in your house. It's like, well, that's a good thing. You shouldn't have cats, right? Like that, we all understand that we're all there together. And it's like landlord has the ability to, to tell you that you can do things and you can't, they're ultimately in charge. You know, we don't use the word authority very much. Reality, we don't like that word very much. <laughs> but it's important for us to understand that, that someone who has authority, they have power. They have ability to change things without asking anyone else's permission. A police officer doesn't have to ask his police chief every time he pulls someone over. No, a police officer has been trained. He's been commissioned. He's been credentialed to do a job. And whenever a situation come up, comes up, he just acts. He doesn't have to ask anyone else. And so this group, the chief priests, teachers of the law, the elders, who have the heritage who have the education, who have the respect, they look at Jesus and in their eyes, Jesus has none of these things. Jesus wasn't born into a priestly family. A priestly family. I don't know if you knew that or not. Do you know that Jesus' father was a carpenter from Nazareth? He was from a, a no-name city. He might as well have been from Hohenwald, Tennessee. It's like, you never expect anything good to come out of there. No offense, Tristan, no offense. They look at this guy and they go, man, he's not, he doesn't have the authority of a priest. He doesn't have the religious heritage. Jesus hadn't been trained in the law like the teachers of the law. They look around and they go, Jesus, he wasn't our classmate. He didn't go through seminary with us. He didn't go through the PhD program with us. He doesn't have the answers like we do. The elders look at Jesus and they see this young man and they go, he's not worthy of respect. They look at Jesus and they go, where did you get your authority? Who gave it to you? Who commissioned you? You don't have the credentials. You don't have the heritage. Who told you that you can do the things that you're doing? It says that they ask him about these things. I was thinking, man, what are they talking about? What are the, these things that... They're talking about Jesus just the day before walked into the temple. And I invite you, if you didn't listen to the podcast a month ago, go back and listen to this. It's so powerful. Jesus walked into the temple and he saw what life with God had become for the people. You see, the temple, the place of worship was a place that, that you came to pray and to worship and to walk away knowing that you were forgiven and loved by God. Because of the teachers, because of the elders, because of the chief priests, man, the, the temple had become this burden. It had become this place that every time they showed up on Sunday morning, they realized how far they were from God. And Jesus walks in and he overturns the tables and he's doing so much more than just overturning tables. He's overturning their system. He's come to renew, to restore the temple and its purpose so that the people of God, when they walked into the, temp the temple, they knew it was a place of worship and prayer and connection with God. You see, but this group is so angry with Jesus because he did these things. He had stepped on their toes. He was messing with their work, with their passion. But it was so much more than what he just did that, that day in the temple. You see, for the past three years, the teachers of the law, the elders, the chief priests had been watching Jesus as every time he would stand on the shoreline and teach, crowds of people would flock to him. 
These people were, were front row season ticket holders to the ministry of Jesus. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him forgive people. They'd seen him be with people that had totally shipwrecked their lives and love them instead of condemning them. See, Jesus offended the teachers of the law because he wasn't honoring the tradition that their fathers had passed down to them, which became more important to them in many ways than the scriptures themselves. See, the teachers of the law, the chief priests and the elders had lost sight of what this was all about. And Jesus came to restore And yet because they were so certain that their lives were exactly what God wanted them, they had no need for Jesus. And instead of like the people all throughout the gospels who had encountered Jesus, who encountered his healing, who encountered his kindness, who encountered his voice, who encountered his love, who encountered his love and and, and left with joy and power and forgiveness every time this group encountered Jesus. There was a hardness of heart. There was resistance. And the picture of their lives was an ever-increasing hatred, a jealousy, a resentment towards Jesus, and this ever-increasing desire to forever get him out of the picture. And I love what King Jesus does here in verse 29. Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you about what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. Let me explain what I think is going on here. That although these guys are set on cornering Jesus, he is still set on them discovering him. That their intent is to crucify him. And yet in this last week of Jesus' life, he is still trying to get them to see him for who he is. Jesus is making an appeal to them. Guys, just, just think. Just open your eyes. Don't be so shut off. And so he asked them about John, John's baptism. And he's talking about John the Baptist and his ministry. And we read that, we go, John's baptism, what he's talking about? It's, it's a, a word that stands for John's entire life, his entire ministry. And the original audience would have understood this language. You see, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, they knew who John the Baptist was. They knew how much people liked him. They knew how much people believed that he really was from God. They knew the things that John the Baptist was saying and doing. If you wanted to sum up John the Baptist's life in one sentence, you could say this, that John's entire life was about pointing to Jesus Christ as the only hope and the only savior of the world. And Jesus' appeal to these guys is, just think. Just open your hearts. Don't be so shut off. Don't be so closed-minded. Don't be so convinced that you have everything figured out. Keeps going in verse 31. They discussed it among themselves and they said, if we say John's baptism is from heaven, then he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, 
They feared the people. For everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And I want you to notice that instead of being reflective and introspective and open-minded to the question that Jesus asked them, they're thinking about how to defend what they already believe. Instead of being open to the question that Jesus asked them, they're thinking through what others will think of them. You see, their, pit, their position is one of defense and deflection, not of openness, not a willingness to investigate. Verse 33, so Jesus answered them, then neither will I tell you about what authority I'm doing these things. And I was asking myself this week, man, what in the world does this story have to do with my life? Of all the pieces of, that, that Mark could have chosen to put in the scriptures, why did the Holy Spirit lead him to put this in here for us? I think Jesus is wanting them to see, to come to grips with why they really don't believe in him. I think Jesus is really wanting these guys to see and to come to grips with why they don't believe in him. Why they refuse to listen. Why they refuse to come to Jesus. Why they refuse to turn to him. And here's what we need to know. It's not because they hadn't seen Jesus prove his authority, his power. You see, these guys, um, they weren't just hearing about the things that Jesus was doing. They saw the things that Jesus was doing. You go back and you read this in, in Mark, chapter, Mark chapter one, Jesus healed this guy whose entire life had been paralyzed. Spent his whole life in a wheelchair and Jesus shows up and he speaks to this guy, tells this guy to stand up and walk and, and the teachers of the law and the elders and the chief priest witnessed this. It was undeniable that, that God was working in the man Jesus Christ. They saw Jesus do things that they were unable to do themselves. They saw Jesus go to this man whose entire life had been oppressed by the enemy, had, had darkness living inside of him. I don't know if you relate to that, if you ever like noticed how often this, the enemy speaks to us and lies to us in our head. And Jesus goes to this man whose entire life had, had been taken over by the enemy, by darkness. And Jesus walks up to this man and does what no one else can do for him. He drives the darkness completely out. And for the first time in this man's life, there's peace, there's joy, there's an absence of the enemy. Teachers of the law hear about this. You see, Jesus' power, his authority, his ministry was so different than theirs. And they weren't oblivious to it. The reason they didn't believe in Jesus was because of their own unwillingness to open their eyes. The reason they didn't believe in Jesus is because they failed to admit where they had missed it. The reason they didn't believe in Jesus is because they didn't want to believe. Have you ever noticed in your life or maybe in someone's life that you really care about, have you ever noticed how frustrating it is when, when someone is just shut off I think one of the biggest enemies of God 
is being closed off, hard-hearted, refusing to listen. And yet the other side of that coin, have you ever seen in somebody like genuine humility, an openness, a willingness to receive, to admit where you've been wrong? And I go, man, when you see that in someone, it's one of the most beautiful characteristics a person can wear. I want you to think about this for a minute. I invite you to think about a time in your life when, when someone came to you and pointed out something in your life and your first action was to be defensive instead of responsive, instead of receptive. Think outside of the spiritual realm for a minute. When is a, a time that, that someone came to you and pointed out something that was in your life and instead of being open and willing to receive it, your first thing, your first like, mechanism was defensive. I've got all kinds of these examples. I was thinking about in high school, this was one for me, this uh, guy that had been mentoring me and walking with, walking with me through life and just, he loved me. I remember him sitting me down in his office one day and I was dating this girl and man, we were just not following Christ. We didn't, we weren't loving Christ. We weren't seeking his heart. We were just living in absolute rebellion and he sat me down on his couch and he said, Brandon, you don't need to be with this girl. Like, you've got, you've got such like, You've got such a heart for God and, and you've lost your passion for God. You're thinking about stepping out like uh, your whole life you've wanted to do ministry and, and now you're dating this girl and instead of thinking about ministry, you're thinking about pursuing this other path. What is going on? Brandon, she's, she's, she's poison in your well. Like you, you guys are, are not following Christ and I'm sitting there on the couch and everything that he was saying is true but my heart was so hard to the words that he was saying because I wanted to keep doing what I wanted to do. You ever had a moment in your life where someone genuinely cares about you and they're willing to speak the hard words, but because you want to do what you want to do, you're just defensive? Do you know what it's like to be defensive? Your wife points out something and, and instead of being receptive, man, you, you're defensive. Your roommate points something out and instead of being receptive, you're defensive. One of the things that I've seen about Jesus, I've gotten the joy of, of being part of this church for seven years and, and walking as one of the pastors of, of this incredible group of people. One of the things that I've seen is that because Jesus loves us, he keeps pressing in on those things in our lives that are keeping us from really living in the kingdom of God. that I've seen this over and over again for the past seven years, that Jesus, because he loves us, he will keep pressing in on those things that are keeping us from fully walking in the kingdom of God. If you go to the doctor because you broke your arm, you need the doctor to fix that which is broken, right? You don't need the doctor to spend the whole time telling you how good your vision and your hearing and your reflexes are. No, you need the doctor to take care of the issue, right? And yet so often in our spiritual lives, we don't view it like this. Jesus, because he loves us, man, he will constantly keep bringing to our attention things that are keeping us from living in the kingdom of God.
Jesus would bring to our attention that we shouldn't be sleeping with our girlfriend. What is your posture in that moment? That you know the, the guilt and the shame and you know that you're doing what you want. You're not like submitting your life to his plans. You know that you're living outside of his will. And the Holy Spirit just has this way of, of bringing out those things. What's your posture when, when Jesus reveals those areas of our lives that are keeping us from living in the kingdom of God? Or when Jesus, because he loves us, he confronts us that, that we're really living for ourselves instead of for his glory and for others. That we're spending all of our time thinking about how we're gonna spend our money and our weekend and what we wanna do. And what is the posture when King Jesus comes along and he confronts us with those areas in our lives that are keeping us from fully living the kingdom of God? Are we responsive or are we defensive? Or Jesus will invite us to start being open to the possibility that there is a God and that he does love us. And when he does that, are we defensive? Or are we willing to be open? You know, the question that I think we have to wrestle with is, is what happens when the words of Jesus speak against the ways in which we're living? What happens when the words of Jesus speak into and against the ways in which we're living. And here's what I've found. It rarely feels good. I'll just tell you a story from, uh, from this weekend where I just missed it, where the Holy Spirit was convicting me. On Friday, I was talking to Dave on the phone and just kind of talking about the situation that was going on. And, and he asked me about something and, and I just straight up lied to him. He's asking about something to do with house churches and, and for whatever reason, I just lied to him. I got off the phone and I was sitting there and I kid you not, I, uh, the thing that we were talking about, I, was, I got on me as I was starting to pray for the situation that's going on. And, and it was like God was just convicting me. Brandon, are you really? Are you really just gonna try to sweep this under the rug? In the middle of my prayer, I'm going, yeah, God, but it's, it's not that big of a deal. And it's more of a hassle if I call him. And the thing that I told him, it's, it's and, and you know what that's like to justify sin, right? Like, and the whole time I'm thinking about the words of James, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. <laughs> and I'm going, nah, it's okay. I'll just, I'll just confess. And I'll just confess to you, God, that I've missed it. And, and I'll go on. What happens when the words of Jesus speak into and against the ways in which we're living? It's like God's going, Brandon, you know what to do. As a, a pastor, as a follower of Christ, do you really want to, to, to be one of the leaders in this church? And, and when you sin, to just kind of sweep it under the rug, is that the kind of church, is that the kind of man you want to be? So call Dave. I lied to you. So sorry. Like, I, I don't want to, to be the type of guy that when he sins, he goes and hides. 
What happens when the words of Jesus speak in the ways that we're living? It rarely feels good. It rarely feels good. May we always remember the one who is pointing those things out in us is the same one who died for us. That he's the one who loved us enough to pay for the entirety of our sins. It's like Mark and Corinne, you come here this morning because of the blood of Jesus, because he died for you. He loved you enough to die for you. Matt, like, you come here this morning because of the blood of Jesus? Like, you ever want to know if he, if he loves you, look to the cross? It's like, Kelly, you come here this morning because of the blood of Jesus. We are, are here because of Jesus Christ and him alone. And, and whenever he starts reminding us of the places that we're missing it, whenever his words start speaking against the ways that we're living, may we always remember that he loves us, that he wants us, That he is preparing a place for us as we speak. And in this life, he is preparing us for that place. I know that Finley and Jones, my kids, Finley's almost three, Jones is one. I know that one day they're going to leave our house. And Courtney, our, our, our job, her job and my job as their parents is, is to point out the areas in their life where they're missing it. That's not our only job, right? Like I talked a couple weeks ago, when they, when they do good, we celebrate and we encourage and we make a big deal. But, but part of our job is also to help them see the areas in their life where they're missing it. Because we want them to succeed in life. You know, Finley, she never likes it when we make her share her toys with Jones. Jones never likes it when he has a hold of Finley's hair and we make him let go. <laughs> they never like it when they get punished for talking back. Finley's going through this phase right now where, where she looks us in the face and she says, you don't tell me that. <laughs> You're getting a spanking. <laughs> go to the corner. <laughs> she never likes it when she gets punished. They don't like it when we have to turn the lights off and go to bed. But we see the end in sight. And we know that, that one day they're going to go to school. They're going to go to elementary school, middle school, and high school. One day they're going to leave our house and they're going to go off to college. And we know that they will be better off if they learn how to share. We know that they're going to be better off if, you know, Jones is going to be better off if every time he doesn't get his way, the solution is not to grab somebody's hair and hit him on the head. Like, we know that they're going to be better off when they learn to respect people. We know that they're going to be in a much, a much better mood if they'll just go to sleep. And my kids, they don't have the capacity to always see the end. But as their parents, we do. You see, in the same way, we don't always have the capacity to see where God is taking us. But God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, they do. And so when Jesus Christ, when he meets us in our lives, 
when he meets us in our questions, when his word starts speaking against the ways in which we are living, will we be like the cold-hearted religious leaders and miss out on discovering more of Jesus? Or will we have the openness and the humility to trust and to be open? Will we have the, the ability to see that he does have authority? and that he uses his authority for our good. Here's where I wanna end this morning. Let's bring this down into our lives. That, uh, for those of you in this room this morning that don't believe in Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, I wanna invite you to do two things this week. Part of, I think, our responsibility when we, when we listen to the word of God is to do something with it if you're a follower of Jesus or if you're not. And so I just want to invite you to, to do two things this week. And so we're going to take communion here in just a minute. We're going to stand up and the band's going to get back up and lead us in worship. We're going to take communion. And, and I, I encourage you to start answering these two questions in communion and, and to finish them sometime this week. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do if you're not a follower of Jesus. First thing, um, I want to invite you to think and to ask this question very honestly. Why do you not believe in Jesus? Why do you not believe in Jesus? What is at the very bottom of the unbelief? And the second thing I want to invite you to do if you're not a follower of Jesus is, is to share what you discover with someone that you trust this week. So as you explore why you don't believe, some of you realize, some of you are going to realize that it's, it's because you've never seen proof. That when everything else is, is peeled away, like the, the reason you don't believe is because you've, you've never experienced God. For some of you, as you explore this question, it's, it's gonna be something maybe like this, that, that you were hurt by someone and you don't know why God didn't prevent it. Others of you, as you explore, maybe you, you go, man, I've read the scriptures and I've read something about God and I don't understand it. I don't understand why God would do that. Or for some of you, you're not believers and you're gonna understand that, that the reason is that well, you used to believe, but God lets you down in a big way. And here's what I hope you know. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that, that your perspective, your experience, you are so valuable and you matter. And I love what Jesus does here to these guys who come to, him, to them. Jesus just invites them to think. And he's wanting to do that same thing with you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you this week to be open. Why don't you believe? The second thing I invite you to do is to share with someone. To share why you don't believe, to share what you discover with someone that you trust. Maybe you come in here and you don't know anybody. I would love to be that person that sits down and listens to you. In all seriousness, my email address is brandonsteel at ethoschurch.org. Send me an email. I'll go sit down and coffee, sit down. I'll listen to you as long as you want to talk or the person who invited you to church, or your girlfriend, whoever it is that, that you look at and you go, man, they believe Jesus, and I wanna share why I don't believe in Jesus. Let us walk 
through the questions and the struggles with you. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, two questions. First question is this. So we take communion. I want you to start exploring this. When Jesus speaks, when his words start speaking against your ways, what is your posture? I didn't ask what you want it to be. I asked what it actually is. When his ways start speaking, when, when his words start speaking against your ways, what is your posture? Does Jesus really have authority in your life? And the second question is this. What is something that he is bringing to your attention right now in your life that he's wanting to deal with? What is something that he's bringing to your attention right now in your life that he's wanting to deal with? Jesus loves us. We are his people. Let's pray.